Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Michael Davis about becoming confident, influential, and impactful communicators. Michael Davis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be with you today. I'm super excited to have this conversation. We've been prepping for this for a long time. We've had to reschedule on a couple of occasions just due to craziness in our lives and busy schedules, but we finally have a chance to meet and have a nice conversation. Today, we're going to be focusing on becoming confident, influential, and impactful communicators. And of course, there's many reasons why that's important in our professional lives and in really our our lives in general. Uh, But in order to be effective leaders, we need to be good communicators. And that's one of those competency areas that I think some leaders are really lacking in. And and it's one of those areas we can develop and we can grow into. So we're going to be exploring all of that together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Michael's bio with everybody. After his own embarrassing experiences presenting to groups of prospective clients, Michael Davis became an avid student of speaking and storytelling. What he discovered had such a profound impact on him that it became his calling to help others become confident, influential, and impactful communicators. Most of Michael's time is spent training clients on uncovering and crafting their most impactful business stories and navigating the new world of virtual presenting. And I could go on and on, but uh, before we dive on in further, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context? The, the biggest is this, Jonathan, I got involved in this starting back in 1994, because I wasn't a confident, influential and impactful presenter. I was a certified financial planner at the time. I was given the task of presenting retirement planning workshops in the community. And in a word, they were awful. So bad that my boss pulled me aside one day and said, you either got to fix this or else. Meaning you're out of here. <laughs> out of pure desperation, I went and I found the organization Toastmasters International, which opened up my eyes to many truths about speaking. And eventually I ended up with the National Speakers Association also. And between the two, I met so many fantastic individuals who became mentors and set me on a whole new path. And as you said in my introduction, uh, I knew it was my calling. I had to leave what I was doing before, which was a nice job that I liked, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's excellent. And yeah, uh, personal financial planning, a lot of that is just direct interaction and communication with customers. And especially if you're doing trainings, uh, that of course would require a lot of uh, stage presence, uh, facilitation and communication skills. Uh, And I I share your kind of background and awkwardness and embarrassment when it comes to uh, communicating and presenting. Uh, It's not something that comes naturally to me. You know, I'm an introvert. 
I'm not a, you know, a charismatic kind of a person. And so, you know, I'm not the type of person that would walk into a room and just like command the room and the attention of everyone in there. And I've had to grow into my ability to communicate more effectively and to present more effectively. Uh, and in fact, when, when I got into the HR area, it was really training and development uh, that first caught my attention and what drew me in, in wanting to work with people and helping them to be more effective in what they do. And, you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to, to practice, to hone, to, to recognize, you know, what my style is, to lean into that style, be authentic, and also kind of build out some of the weaker areas uh, that were limiting my impact that I could have uh, with those around me. You said so much there. If you don't mind, let's unpack that. I, there's a lot of wisdom and we could spend the rest of our time just talking about what you just said. Number one, you're an introvert, self-proclaimed. Which do you think makes the more effective presenter? And I realize I'm being extremely general here, Jonathan, but let's just take that. Which do you think is more effective as a presenter, an extrovert or an introvert? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it really depends. And let's also clarify that, you know, I say I'm an introvert, it's a spectrum. And, you know, people, people tend to kind of fall somewhere on the spectrum and different aspects of your life, you might be more of an introvert or an extrovert somewhere on that spectrum, right? I would say, gen generally speaking, I'm towards that the introvert side of the spectrum. Uh, you know, but obviously, it depends on the context. So with that said, as the opening caveat, um, I think it also depends on the audience and it depends on the, 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 uh, the individual and kind of what they prefer. I know for me as a you know, predominant introvert, I am actually quite turned off by kind of the showy extroversion kind of quote unquote charismatic kind of presenter. Um, I, I often don't feel like there's a lot of substance there and, and I'm turned off by it. Uh, so it's not as effective for me, but I know other people that really love that approach and that style. Um, and so I suppose part of it just depends on, on the audience and what you're trying to convey in, you know, your present, your presentation. Again, very good points. As a general rule, I find that extroverts are harder to coach than introverts. The reason being, and I'm not criticizing, by the way, you are who you are. And if you're an extrovert, that means you have this need to talk. I have some friends who are extroverts and they just got to get it out. The challenge as a presenter and a leader, if you're an extrovert, is to your point, what's the point? <laughs> so often people are just talking because they have to get it out, but it's not centered around a central theme or idea. Audiences, is, they may walk out feeling, wow, I'm pumped up. And that goes away real fast. It's like a shot of caffeine. What's the, the lingering impact or influence? As a general rule, I find that introverts who are the, the folks that tend to sit back and just take everything in have some of the best ideas. But because it's not in their personality to raise their hand to be the first one to speak, their ideas are often overlooked. Huge mistake in leadership. We've got to give our introverts, our more laid back people, every opportunity to talk, but don't expect them to be the first ones to jump up. Yeah. And, and just to, to tag team on that idea, uh, I know I'm just one anecdotal example, uh, but as a predominant introvert, if I'm not running a meeting or facilitating a meeting, um, my 
approach tends to be to just sit back and observe and to take it in. Just like you said, uh, I don't tend to want to speak. Um, I I'll speak up if I have something to say, or if there's something I feel like I need to challenge. Uh, but mo for the most part, I'm going to just sit back, observe, listen, you know, get the lay of the land, understand where people are coming from. And most of the time, other people are making the similar types of comments I would make anyway. So I don't feel the need to restate what someone else has already said. Uh, and so that tends to be my approach. Now, because of that, uh, like you said, a lot of times certain styles of leaders will, they'll misconstrue that. They'll, they'll think that that means I'm not engaged in the conversation or that I'm not contributing. And while that certainly could be the case with introverts, it's usually not the case. They're usually very intellectually involved in the conversation and in the meeting, but they're just, they're picking their moments. Uh, and sometimes you have to draw out what they're thinking from them a little bit, and they're not just going to volunteer it, right? Yes. And it's why leaders have to pay attention to everyone in the room, understand different personality types. And if you were in a meeting and I noticed that four other people were talking and you were sitting back before that meeting ends, I'm going to ask you, Jonathan, Anything that you've noticed today, any insights that we haven't heard based on this group discussion? And chances are pretty good. You're going to say something. You're going to add some value that no one else has. That's why part of communication isn't just me. I'm going to sit here and talk to you the whole time. That doesn't work in general. It's gotten even more so in this world of virtual presenting in the last well 20 months now. What I've discovered in the professional speaking world is that many people believe we're going to go back to the days of I stand on stage, I talk, you listen. I talk, you get inspired. I talk, you take action. I believe those days are gone forever because the last 20 months have conditioned audiences to be part of every presentation. They were before. I mean, the person who just got up there and pontificated, they were good. That style was going away. This just accelerated that. But it's even more so that people expect to have questions asked, to take surveys, do polls, have breakout groups, right? We're going to go back live. It'll be breakout groups. We've conditioned them to that. And if you don't structure your presentations around that to where you say less, and it's more of a true dialogue you're going to struggle as a presenter in any format. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I have an example um, as a participant just recently. And so the, the context was, you know, I'm a university professor in addition to the consulting work that I do. Yeah. And so in the university setting, uh, the, I, I have some administrative and leadership roles. And uh, uh, one of the senior leaders decided they wanted to do leadership development training for uh, all of the all of the leaders across campus. Um, and, you know, I, I get excited for this kind of stuff. So I, I was excited, but also a little skeptical um, because I've seen how some of these have gone in the past. What I have to give props to for the consultants that they brought in, uh, the consultants really did a good job of involving people, having breakouts, having lots of conversation. Uh, they, in, in my opinion, erred too far on the side of uh conversation and breakouts and, and too little on like, they're the consultants, they're the experts, like sharing some knowledge and wisdom and, and finding that balance. I felt like they didn't strike the balance. Uh, they, they, 
they the pendulum swung too far. And so while while on the one hand, you can't have like someone up there lecturing and like going through PowerPoint slides, everyone's eyes is eyes glaze over, nobody wants to be in that room. On the other hand, you know, after two days of sitting in a, a room full of people crowdsourcing leadership principles, instead of hearing from experts, like what some of the core concepts are, and then exploring those in greater depth, that was also very frustrating. Uh, and so we have to find the balance and communicate expertise and share knowledge and wisdom with people, um, but also get their input and listen to them and give them a chance to contribute. It's not an either or, I guess is my point. Like we can do both, we should do both. And uh, if, if I'm in a setting where I'm trying to impact others and demonstrate my competency to them, uh, then I need to also demonstrate in, a, in addition to my ability to listen and to engage them and involve them in the conversation, I need to also demonstrate my expertise and I need to demonstrate um, the, the knowledge I have and you know, what backs up what I'm saying, uh, research, studies, whatever, uh, that is supporting what I'm, I'm trying to get at and convey to the people uh, that I'm talking to, right? All very good points. I would make one slight adjustment to what you said, Jonathan, and that is that audiences today don't need us to bombard them with more information. There is a library in their pocket, right? The, the internet, we can get any piece of information. Some of it's actually true <laughs> on the internet. What they really want is your perspective on the information because it, it's overload. They don't know what to do with it. I mean, I laughingly say some of it's true. There is so much contradictory information that they throw their hands up and they don't do anything. What they want is someone who's walked the same road they have. They have the same experiences, have gone through the potholes of that road, overcome those challenges and had success. They want to know, how did you do it? What was your experience? What's the shortcut you can give me? Yeah, and I, 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 com I completely agree with that. And, and the way I frame that is that I it's my role when I'm facilitating those kinds of conversations and, and doing a training or leadership development or whatever, I'm the curator of the knowledge and the expertise, right? That everyone has access to. Everyone has access to it. Anyone can Google stuff, pull stuff up immediately. It's not hard to find a whole wealth of information online. The question is, how, how do you make sense of it? How do you sift through it? How do you synthesize it? And that would then be my role as the curator of that knowledge to then provide insight and the ability to integrate um, and then pull them in and facilitate meaningful conversation around the content that we're discussing. Yes, and I like what you said. What it comes down to as a facilitator is it's not, the question is not what should I give them? It's what should I take out? This is a big challenge I see in most presentations. They are too filled with information. People walk out of there not knowing what to do. They don't really have takeaways. When I'm working with folks today, I, my goal is to give audiences at most three takeaways. If they use one of those three, you're lucky, but it's counterintuitive to what most people think. They believe, oh, I've got to give them 10, 15 ideas. They're not going to use any of those because they don't know which one to use. I read a, a great book years ago called The Paradox of Choice. We think 
that the more choices we give people, the better off we are. When in fact, it's just the opposite. Studies show there's a certain number, it might be eight or 10, I don't know. But over that, people's brains shut down. So I try to simplify every presentation. If you just take one idea and take action on it, I've succeeded. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. And based on what you said earlier, there's one action from this discussion I would encourage people to take, and that is to know yourself, because you said it took you a while to learn your true voice. The way you do that is repeatedly getting up and speaking. Get in front of that camera, get in front of every group. I don't care if it's two or 2002. Repetition will help you find your voice. There's no shortcut to that. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And something that's you mentioned several minutes ago and that's kind of reemerged in, in uh, implied in what you've been saying is uh, the, the short term inspirative element, inspirational element uh, to a lot of charismatic speaking and extroverted uh, kinds of presentation modalities, that that is not long lasting. So if we want long lasting impact of what we're trying to communicate to people through our presentations, uh, then we need to hone in and, and be very clear about what are the objectives about what we're trying to accomplish uh, and, and make sure that it's clear and we hit it home very explicitly over and over again, what the key takeaways are before people depart. Because whatever motivation people are feeling, whatever inspiration people are feeling, whatever drive to go out and do something new and important in their jobs that they're feeling in the moment when they're with you, either you know virtually in a, in a live online meeting or in person, that will dissipate very quickly. Uh, within hours, if not days, that will be gone. And the only thing that will be left uh, will be those action items that people know they can take and run with and uh, apply into their daily work life. And if if we have a laundry list of things, nothing's going to happen because that's just you can't focus on a, you know a bunch of things. Uh, if we don't have anything because we haven't clearly uh, identified what the core objectives were, then again, people aren't really going to know how to pull out from the training uh, what they should be focusing on. And so we really have to. Uh, not 
be overly reliant on the inspirational elements. Now, is it bad to be inspirational in your speaking? Absolutely not. That's that's a really great skill uh, to to be motivational and inspirational and to get people really uh, engaged and actively involved in what you're um, communicating. But it will dissipate. It's not enough. We have to then have action items that can be followed up on and assessed over time. Otherwise, nothing meaningful is actually going to change. You're absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better. The key is to give them actionable items that they can do that are slightly outside of their comfort zone, but not so much that they think, well, you can do it because you're special. That does happen. That's why the stories about climbing Everest or overcoming a, a, a lost limb. Yeah, they're inspirational for a short time. But then I look around and say, well, I'm not trying to climb Everest. And that's why storytelling is so critical in speaking, effective storytelling. This is a kind of a campaign I'm on right now. Storytelling has become all the rage in business communication this decade, well, the last decade. I'm writing my second book now, and the tentative title is Stop Telling Just Any Story. Because what I'm finding is people are out there, they're just telling stories over and over. And the great American actor and director Dennis Hopper said it best. Just because it happened to you doesn't make it interesting for the rest of us. <laughs> and again, it's too much if we don't structure it the right way. A story that's well-structured, has emotional components, and teaches a lesson is the most effective business communication tool you have because it will help the, the lesson stick and it will help keep the, the audience inspired to take the action that they need to take. Yeah. And it, it, something else I've found is if we're playing the long game as organizational leaders, either bringing people in externally, uh, consultants to come in and do these types of trainings or presentations, or we have in-house people that can do these. If we're playing the long game, we want people, our people to recognize the value of these types of events and these types of engagements. We've all been to a whole bunch of really crummy trainings in the past. And so people tend to be a little bit skeptical when they're asked to come and devote, you know, they're very busy. They have all these expectations, all these KPIs, and now they're asked to spend half a day, a day, two days in these workshops and these trainings. Unless there's a lot of real value, perceived value coming from that, people are going to be skeptical. They're going to be, um, uh, they're going to be have their defenses up, right? Their walls are up and the chances of them actually getting something out of it go way down. And so you have to build on successes. You need to have a really good, meaningful training with good follow-up, uh, good assessment over time where people can actually see, wow, this really made a difference in my day-to-day -day work life. And then guess what? The next time you do a training, they're going to not be as skeptical. They're not going to be as resistant to whatever it is that you're getting them together to, to have training on. And it's going to be more effective. And pretty soon you build a culture, a, a growth mindset culture of, of everyone getting together for trainings on a regular basis where everyone just knows, yeah, I'm going to be continually developing myself, continually uh, applying what I'm learning, continually growing. And that's the kind of organization that we want to be in. That's the kind of organization I want to go into to, to facilitate these trainings in, uh, because I know it's going to be dynamic. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be energized. And there's going to be lots of really great outcomes. Uh, on the on the flip side, when you have a less impactful training and there's really no follow up and there's really no evidence that anything happened or changed and there's I, I don't see any improvement in my work life, 
then the next time I'm asked to go to a training, I'm going to have resistance. I'm going to have skepticism and I'm probably not going to get as much out of it because of that. And ultimately that will continue to feed on itself in the opposite direction. It'll be kind of a downward spiral of, of negative uh, growth culture, right? Yes. And training has either of the two effects you just said. It, it's incremental growth or it's incremental collapse. I was having uh, a couple of cocktails with a friend of mine last night who is a client that owns one of the bigger brewery restaurants in our city. And he was talking about trying to make some culture shift. And we both agreed it's like exercise. You don't go to the gym once and have an intense 60 minute workout and think we're good. Body's good. I can go back to my old ways. No, you've got to go and develop that habit and incrementally build your strength, build your endurance, change your eating habits. Same way with the culture. I know that companies have these missions and they got these new agendas. We're going to change the culture. Well, you don't just drop that on people and expect it to change in a few weeks. It, you've got to have the long-term vision that you mentioned, Jonathan, and then put the pieces in place, the, the arm curls, the squats, the push-ups, whatever your version of that is in changing culture and incorporate those and, and praise people along the way, because they're not going to do it perfectly. How do you do that? Effective communication. Yeah, effective and consistent communication over time. To your point, this isn't a shot in the pan, one-time thing. This isn't something that's going to shift in, in a matter of weeks. It's going to take months, years even, <laughs> of consistent communication, con consistent reinforcement, uh, consistent follow-up. And if we're not uh, keeping that in mind and always thinking about how are we going to connect with our audience, how are we going to connect with our people to be influential and impactful, uh, then then it's going to fizzle. It'll in in inevitably fizzle over time, and you're going to go back to whatever the muscle memory is, the the old status quo, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the root cause of all of this, and I've really been on the bandwagon about this the last few months, is an idea that I read about in a book called Made to Stick. By Chip and Dan Heath, fantastic book. It's probably pushing 20 years old now. The concept is the curse of knowledge. You and I know our topics so well that when we're communicating to others, we just assume they know what we're talking about. And it doesn't matter if it's a sales presentation, you're talking to the board, you're talking to your team, you're on stage giving a speech, you're on camera giving a training. We all suffer from this and we have to be aware of it to make sure that our message is clear to the listener. One of the most important lessons I learned as a speaker and a speech coach was, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And we intuitively all know this, but we're not practicing it. I know this because every person I work with on their speeches, their stories, their presentations, I constantly have to stop them and say, well, what does that mean? And they, it, 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 it's the biggest challenge we have as communicators. We know it. And because we're in such a fast paced world, we're just getting it out there. And we assume the other person intuitively knows what we're talking about. It's our job as communicators and leaders to stop and say, am I clear? What part of this am I not being clear about? And, and it sounds nitpicky, but we have to say it that way. Because if I say to you, Jonathan, what part of that don't you understand? Well, you're not going to admit that you don't understand it versus where was I not clear? 
what part of that am I not being absolutely clear about to you? You're much more likely going to say, well, you know, uh, I'm not, don't quite understand that versus I'm good. <laughs> that one difference in the word I versus you makes all the difference in communication. Yeah, I love it. Well, Michael, I'm just noting the time it has flown by. I, I feel like we could go on and on and on and talk about yes. these topics all day long. It's been so much fun, uh, but I need to be respectful of your time and let you get on with your busy day. Before we close today, though, I want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. If you want to email me, that's the easiest way. Mike at speakingcpr.com. I do have a virtual business card. If you go to bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash CPR contact, you can go to that. You can schedule a short appointment with me. If you just want to talk, you can get some free reports. Uh, happy to talk with you, but either way you can contact me there. Uh, my last word on this, Jonathan, is the key to communication is not getting stuck in your own head, what I, what's been called the curse of knowledge. Slow the process down. I know we live in a fast-paced world, and it feels like we have to get everything out, but if we don't slow down on the front end to make sure we're clear, it's a cascading effect that builds to where we have to spend so much time on the back end correcting the miscommunication and correcting all of the errors that came from that. Invest a little time up front so you don't have to invest a lot of time on the back end to not only fix mistakes, but clear up relationships, uh, overcome hurt feelings, miscommunication. It's just so costly when we don't clear it up on the front end. Well said, well said. Thank you, Michael. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Michael can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. 
we publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.